who have come, which most of you have for, for uh, the last several weeks, we uh, really talked a, a long time about Jesus and his life, different stories of, of this and that, and, and it's, it's kind of fun just to think back to, to all the things that we talked about. We spent a, a whole month plus uh, just on, on incidents and, and situations and around the cross, when Jesus went to the cross and, and gave his life as a sacrifice. And now, you know, we, we are talking about people whose lives were just totally changed, like totally changed as a result of that moment of Jesus and Jesus going to the cross. And uh, last week, if you'll remember, we talked about Lois, Eunice, and cousin Eugene. I'm just kidding. If you if you mis- I mispronounce a person's name the whole sermon, and so anyhow, so my apologies again for that. But yes, Eunice and Lois, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother, and uh, and we talked about their sincere faith, and, uh, and and wow, what is that? You know, their names are mentioned once in the Bible, along with them having sincere faith, and you know, it doesn't stink to have that, right? If you're known for one thing, it's a sincere faith. Like, okay, I'll take that. That's fantastic. And so we talked about them. But, you know, we're going to look at a, another person's uh, life today um, that really reflects, you know, Jesus's life. Uh, it was, was a calling for his disciples to love each other deeply and to be a light to the world. And maybe more than anything, anything having an unwavering uh, love and devotion uh, to, to our God and to Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, you know, the, and, and we see uh, in Mark 12, of uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, is that was Jesus' calling. And so we get to see people's lives, but not the whole life. Wouldn't, wouldn't you just love to have like an autobiography, detailed autobiography of like any of these people of, of you know, day to day, week to week, what they did and all that. But we don't have that. But what we have in God's word in the New Testament is snippets, just like little pictures into, their, into people's lives. And, uh, but God gives us this uh, so, that, so that we can, we can see, uh, see uh, just a, enough of these, these, these glimpses into these people's lives and situations that we can learn uh, to do this or don't do that uh, or help us make choices uh, to have a, you know, a greater faith in God. And uh, today... We talk about a man, Joseph, whose life was transformed uh, from the cross. His life, um, he was a, a really known as an incredible man of faith. And I've picked three attributes uh, to talk about today from Joseph. Now, you might be sitting thinking, okay, Joseph, wait, Joseph, wasn't he in the old? I, 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 and we're not talking about that Joseph. Well, yeah, but the other one, the Joseph in the New Testament, I'm not talking about him either. Well, then who Joseph are you talking about? Well, I don't have a last name, so, uh, but I do know his name was Joseph. And you might be surprised if you don't know who I'm talking about. There is actually another Joseph. Let's start in Acts chapter 4. So go ahead and point and click, turn your Bibles over there to Acts chapter 4. And we'll see who this man Joseph was, because we really know him uh, by another name, actually. And so in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful it, it, at work in all of them that they were, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So today we talk about who we better know as Barnabas. That answers the first question of who is Joseph. But oh my goodness, this is the first time we see this person. You know, the first attribute that we can take from him is that he was pretty convinced. He was pretty convinced in the sense of, of, of just as Peter was, of laying down the nets. There's not much more to say than the guy sold a farm, sold a field that he owned, and he just brought the money to donate it to whoever had needs. He did that because of Jesus, because of Jesus dying on the cross. He was convinced, and he's just showing his his heart, is showing his heart and commitment to Jesus. I mean, I read that, and I look at that, and I think, wow, there's really just not much more to say. The actions here are louder than words of just selling I don't know if he owned 100 acres and he sold 10 or if he had 100 acres and sold 100. Who knows? But whatever it is, I mean, the guy is giving a piece of what he has. It's it's, it's, it's himself. He is being devoted in his heart uh, to Jesus. And so I thought I would just take this opportunity. I I haven't done so yet uh, since we uh, moved here in in May. you know, I just wanted to thank everybody for giving your contribution. You know, each week, each month, however, however you do it, uh, money shows up. I, I actually don't see it. It goes to, goes to, um, uh, to Paul Hutchins, who handles our, our, our uh, administrative um, stuff. But it goes to him. And, but every week... All, most of us, all, I, I don't know, I mean, we give. We give our money. Uh, during the week, you go to work, you work hard, and you earn your money, and then when it comes time to give, you give. I shared a few weeks ago about our special contribution, uh, which was really great, and, and I don't have a, a newer update what I had, but if you remember, our goal for our church was $38,000. Uh, to give to, 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 to foreign missions, to help the church here, and a lot of things. In the last check, we were at $51,000. Okay, and that comes from, from you guys and, and myself. And, and I, just, I just probably don't thank you enough just for your gift back to God and, uh, because it is, it is a piece of, of you that you give. And so uh, we do do that. And, but then I, I look at this and I think, okay, wow, we should be convinced like Barnabas. We should be convinced that, yeah, Jesus did die on the cross. Yeah, he did, he did rise again from the dead. And I am, I am all in, just like Barnabas. You know, I heard a, uh, a quote uh, once 
It says, when people are financially invested, they want yeah. a return, yeah. right? Which makes sense. Yeah. If I go to a bank, I have extra money. I actually put it in a savings account to get, you know, get a little teensy return on it. Uh, if I have other money that I don't need for a long time, I invest it where I get a bigger return. But one thing is for certain is that I want a return on that money. That's very true for all of us. Hopefully all of us, that's the way we roll um, because you know, we have those, uh, those opportunities. But when we are financially invested, we want a return. But then the second part of the quote, listen to this. When people are emotionally invested... They want to contribute. When people are financially invested, they want to return. When people are emotionally invested, they want to contribute. And so I ask you to to search your heart. Are you in in a, a mode of consuming or contributing? To look in your heart and see. And I know that if I told you, if I told you that I have... I have this 100% guaranteed investment opportunity, and you will in one week have 100% return. Okay, so if you give me $100 today, next Sunday I'm going to bring you $200. This is hypothetical, not a true statement. (laughs) You would do that, and it's unlimited money, right? You can just bring as much as you want. In fact, if you would be like me, I would take everything that I have and throw it all in there if one thing, if I'm guaranteed and 100% convinced that I'm going to get that return. Right? 100% in one week, that's a pretty good week right there. But we have to be convinced because the way we contribute or consume, I think, reflects how convinced we are. And I think Barnabas just sets an incredible example for us here of being convinced. I am convinced that Jesus was the Lord. Here is my money. Here is my, my uh, uh, proceeds from the farm that I have sold. So that's where we first meet Barnabas. This is in Act chapter 4 and see what he's doing. And like I said, I read that and I'm like, wow, that is no small thing for Barnabas to be selling that field. And if you're familiar uh, with the book of Acts, you know, a lot of uh, Jews are becoming Christians uh, and and the church is growing. But then there's one guy that's not so much. And his name was Saul. Saul was actually known, as you look at the following chapters, he was actually known for pulling people out of their house, killing a few Christians. He was was a menace to, to the movement that Jesus had started. Paul wasn't buying it. He thought they were were evil, and he was out doing the business to destroy the disciples. And so, but then, in this amazing turn of events, there is a a person, Stephen, that is, is stoned to death, and Saul is there, and then there's this great persecution that is largely started by this man, I said Paul, Saul, largely started by this guy, Saul, And it's such a big persecution that people are scattered out of the city of Jerusalem. They're scattered in all different places, and they're really running for their lives. And so there's this guy, Saul, that is out there chasing people. And you can imagine being in that moment of 
of the fear of this man and, and his followers and his group of people that you don't know if you know you're hiding you're taking your kids and you're 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 you're, you're you know keeping them in in the house you're not going out to the market so easily you've run to a new city where nobody knows you and so this is all starts going on over the next next few chapters but then by this incredible work of god Saul actually uh, has these visions, and he becomes a disciple himself. It was a remarkable, remarkable thing that happens over multiple chapters. But now you have all these other disciples that look at this guy. And you can imagine. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 9, and let's see what they think. Acts chapter 9, I'm going to start reading in verse 20. Actually, in verse uh, 19b there. So Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. He has just become a Christian. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take, us, uh, take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his flowers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening on the wall. When they came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So given the story of this man Saul, it's very understandable that this guy has gone from not just being a neutral party saying bad things or whatever, but he is out like to kill people that were disciples of Jesus. He was out to ruin their lives. He was out to destroy them. That all of a sudden, he's on your team. That's pretty hard to buy into for these people. And, and it was very, very difficult. And especially when Saul lands back in Jerusalem, where all of that persecution had started, and Saul was, was a menace in that town, those people there, if we look at that, they didn't believe who he was. There was a lot of emotion. There were hurts that Saul had directly caused. There was uncertainty, and change was in the air. And not just change, but like crazy, crazy change. There were tapes playing in people's head of, no, no, that guy, I am scared of that guy. Let's get out of here. I'm not believing a thing he says because he killed my friend Mark. Oh, and he's the one that made my friend Sally and John move. They ran out of here and landed in town. I don't even know where they're at. I haven't even seen them. I'm not listening to this guy. They've got these tapes playing in their heads. That's all bad about Saul. But the second attribute 
to talk about Barnabas is that guy was clear-minded. If you caught that, they get to Jerusalem, and while it seems like everybody is not understanding what is going on with Saul, and I'm not to the point where they're not even believing him. Barnabas was the one that stood in the place to take Saul to the apostles, to the big boys in Jerusalem, and to explain all that had happened. He was the one to, 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 uh, to tell them and explain in detail, to be the bridge. He was the one. He was very clear-minded in a time that, that oh my goodness, people were, it was, it was crazy. It was really crazy. You know, many years ago, I think the name Rich Jaffe means something to two people in this room besides me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember? Rich Jaffe was a news reporter in Cincinnati, one of the TV stations there. And in the early 90s, early, uh, yeah, earliest 90s, um, he decided to do a story on the Cincinnati Church of Christ. And it wasn't one of those, you know, you can have a story like a little two-minute, three-minute story on a thing. No, 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 this was going to be a multiple-part series. If I remember right, it was five parts for a full week. And this guy was doing, doing the reporting, right? And... Granted, there were, there were things going on in our church that we, look, we would all look back and say, yeah, it was probably, probably a little rough around the edges. But this guy took it to like times 100. He really, really did. He, uh, um, he, he did, did these stories, and, um, and of course he talked to the people that were on the TV. It wasn't actually any members. It was all people that had actually left the church. And, and, and a lot of times left because they were upset about something or, or whatever. And so it was, it was, to say the least, one-sided. And, um, and it, was, it was, a lot of it just wasn't true. I looked up an article this week that was written about six years later after this story. Or after the series of stories. And... Um, it was another, it was an article, and he was commented because of the series of stories he did on the church during that time, that was six years prior. And a couple things that he said. He said, this group, talking about the church, is constantly a problem. They are fueled by new recruits. That was his comment. Well, okay, let's just step back. Please show me a church in America that would not be excited if all of a sudden 100 people wanted to join their congregation. Like every group is like that. But by using words that just aren't right, recruits and fueled and, and he's, he's presenting a picture, it's, it's just not true. It's just not true. He said, once individuals are in the group, they tell you who to marry. No. They are asked to isolate themselves from their families. Not at all. Often, members are asked to sign over their cars. No. Their homes. No. Although, as a side reference, they did actually do that. We just read that in Acts. 
But that's not true. And sign over their bank accounts to the church, he said. No. No, 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 that is not true on any level. He was just out to make a story. He was a young reporter trying to make a story, make a name for himself. And at the back end of that was a Cincinnati church that we were a part of. I remember at the time, the, the person that was leading the church, we, we'd pray for this guy uh, during the service. Um, he said at one point, he said, I, I, I pray that this guy actually disciples me someday. That he not only becomes a Christian, but he disciples me someday. And we're like, oh, wow, that's like incredible faith. I mean, this person wasn't out killing people, but he was out hurting us. And hurting us right where it counted. And with lies and untruths. And it just wasn't, just wasn't right. And I remember at the end of the series of, of news reports that he had, the, the, the anchor person where they have a little discussion and said, oh, what, what's the church like now? How's it going now? And he made the comment, oh, most have left. There's just a, a few dozen people there. I remember that very vividly. Because that wasn't true either. That was not true at all. And all he was doing was making a name for himself and putting this church in just a bad light. And it was really hard. It was really hard. It was scary. And even, even looking back to that, I think, it was just so wrong. It was just so wrong. But for, in this situation, it was even worse. I mean, Paul, or Saul, excuse me, Saul had killed people. In verse 26, we see that... Uh, Oh, page blew over. I got the fan blowing up here. Uh, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing him that he was a disciple. They weren't buying what he was selling. But Barnabas had the clear mind to explain to the leaders. Well, how did he do that? Well, one, he, he could see God's hand at work. He didn't know all was, what was coming, but I think Barnabas saw very clearly, like, okay, God is at work here in an amazing way. Let me tell you what has happened with this man Saul. He didn't allow himself to get caught up in the emotions. I mean, if you imagine, you know, Barnabas, he's, he's trying to explain to people, well, you got a whole crowd of people saying, no, no, you know, he was, don't you remember? He was the one that killed us. He was the one that took our friends. He was the one that scattered us. We slept in fear every night. And all the, 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 the peer pressure from his friends that he must have, have felt. But he didn't allow himself to be wrapped up in that because he saw the overriding of what God is doing. He had his eyes focused on Jesus. And on the cross, I think about that moment that we saw Peter when he was in the boat. And it's a storm. And all of a sudden there's this ghost, they think, walking on the water. But no, it's actually Jesus himself. And Peter was able to reason like, okay, if that's Jesus, I'm going to be able to walk on water too. And so he gets out of the boat and he takes a few steps and if you're familiar with the story, what happens? He sees the waves, everything in his face. And had he just kept his eyes focused on Jesus, he would have been able to walk farther. 
That's when he took his eyes off Jesus. That's when he got caught up. So we look at, 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 at Barnabas. I mean, here's a guy who's just, he is focused on the cross. He is convinced, as our first point was, he is also very clear-minded. He is convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus was his Lord. And I think it's a clear lesson for us to have clear minds. Have clear minds that comes from our relationships with God and our relationships with other uh, disciples in the church that can help us. A clear mind that, that comes from keeping our eyes focused on the cross and not getting caught up, not getting ourselves... What a challenge that is. And also loving others. That helps, you know, providing support when we, when we are in troubled times, which I appreciate Randy and Michelle you know, talking. It, it is. This just kind of a, still continues to be a weird time now. But having our eyes, having our, our minds, uh, clear minds, and our eyes focused on the cross, and loving God and loving each other, that will help us tremendously uh, during these difficult uh, times. The third thing for Barnabas. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 11. And we see him in another, uh, another situation. Acts chapter 11, and uh, I'm going to start reading verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, that's what I was just talking about, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. When Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that, there would be a, uh, that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they, uh, this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So we see another uh, a snippet into Barnabas' uh, life. But in verse 24, I mean, how great is that? To have this be said about you. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Barnabas, I think about being full of the Spirit. I can't help but think about the fruits of the Spirit that we see in Galatians chapter 5. That this described this person. Remember, Barnabas, the name 
actually means son of encouragement. Right? His name actually was Joseph. They just, uh, you know, I'm not sure how that worked, but they started calling him Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. And so when you think of the fruits of the Spirit, it's not too far-fetched to think that, oh yeah, this guy had the spirit of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh yeah, that's Barnabas. You're talking about that guy there. Because he was full of the Spirit. Full of faith. Remember that situation that we just were talking about when he was with Saul. And he knew God was doing something, but he doesn't have the benefit of looking farther into uh, Acts to see what's going to happen, right? Faith, I think of Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. He had the faith to take Saul to the leaders and explain everything that was, that was going on. So he was a good man, full of faith and good. I'm sorry, full of spirit and full of faith. But wait a second. There was just all that scattering, all of that persecution that was going on. My goodness, how can you be like that? I mean, there's still uncertainty. There still is like change in the air. People started calling them names. Christian wasn't a good name actually back then. You know, in verse 23, it says, When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He remained glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I think this guy just had a spirit of joy about him because he could always see what, that God was doing something. He may not know where it was going to lead to. He may not see where it was going to take him or other people. But he could see that God was at work. And I think that just brought him joy. I think he was a joyful guy. I think that's why they call him Barnabas, i.e. the son of encouragement. Like, wow, that's really cool to have that name. And I think he avoided the, the pitfalls that sometimes beset people, including us, that, that create downward spirals, you know? Like, woe is me, and uh, you know, you ever find yourselves in, in those moments where, where you're just like, ugh, you know, it's one bad thing, and then it leads to another bad thing, and then, then it's just a bad day, and that bad day just leads to a, a miserable week. I think he avoided that, again, by keeping his eyes on the cross, because he was convinced, and he was clear-minded, and point number three is that he's just courageous. He is courageous to be full of faith, full of spirit, full of joy in times that were just that were crazy times. That takes some serious amount of courage. And in the face of a personal attack, let's read that again in verse 26. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Uh, you guys are just Christians, as in crazy people. That follow Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's like a personal attack. Can you imagine if there was a crowd outside, outside of Burnley Moran, and they got signs up Jesus freaks inside, Blue Ridge weirdos, and probably a lot of other signs that have words on them that I wouldn't say here. But then they'd have personal things. 
you know, your name and then something bad about you. Your friend's name, your husband and wife, the, 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 you know, the, the, the Johnsons are weird, Jesus freaks. And they're just marching around out there. There's TV cameras out there. there there's, there's hundreds of people out there marching around holding signs. They come in here. And they say, you guys are crazy. You're foolish. And they start calling you personal names. It's really hard to imagine that, really. I, you know, it's, it's, you know what's out, you go out there now, and actually the kids are having fun. The sun is shining. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful day. Yes. That's our experience. It's hard to really imagine that. But not for Barnabas. Because that's what he was experiencing. It's exactly what he was experiencing. Christians. I mean, if they would have had poster board back then, they would have had signs up. If they would have had TV cameras, you know, they would have been on the evening news. That's what they were experiencing. It was so personal. It was just so personal. I love what Peter writes, you know, in his later years in 1 Peter chapter 4. He writes, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, you could kind of take that one of two ways. As a Christian, you know, as a Christian, as, as you know, kind of as we are now. But I think back at that time, I think more that he's talking about if you are suffering, if somebody calls you a Christian, as in the negative way. If you are suffering personally because people are calling you names, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that you bear the name of Christian. Barnabas was courageous, but then he is also courageous in humility. You know, later on, we see this, we see this, this relationship between Barnabas and Saul has started here. Later on in uh, Acts 12 says, you know, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned home from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menaean, who had been brought up uh, with Herod from the, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Barnabas and Saul. If we remember last week, we read the story in Lystra, when Barnabas and Saul were in Lystra, and they were preaching to the people, and then they actually healed some people. But then all the Greeks there... They weren't buying this thing about Jesus. They called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes because he was the one that did all the talking. Paul. Saul. You know, Barnabas was the disciple first. You know, a lot of resources would think that Barnabas actually was with Jesus. He, his, his, his time, had, had, he was a disciple uh, one of, uh, with Jesus, actually. Whether that's true or not, we don't see him until Acts chapter 4 that we first read. But regardless, you know, he was the disciple first. He was, he had been around. 
And so we see this relationship between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul go back and forth throughout the book of Acts. And I don't think Barnabas at all was about his title or about his role. He wasn't going to risk his life so that somebody could call him a prophet. He wasn't going to risk his life and have people call him name just so he could be a leader of some people. That's not why he was convinced. That's not why he had the clear mind. That's not why he was all in. That stuff he didn't really care about. He didn't care about that at all. He wasn't concerned that he was the older disciple and all of a sudden this, this Saul who then became Paul is all, you know, he's not saying, you know, hey, you know, putting his arm around saying, let me show you how this is done. You don't see that at all. They work together. And in fact, in Lystra, you know, Paul's the one doing most of the talking. And I think Barnabas was good with that. I think he saw the roles. And so I think he was courageous in his humility as well. And allowing God to work through this man, Saul, who then became Paul. He was an amazing guy. He was convinced Jesus was Lord. He was a, had a clear mind. And he was courageous. But he wasn't perfect. You know, just like... Eunice, Eunice and Lois, you know, there was a point in, in uh, Acts chapter 15 that him and Paul actually have a disagreement. They may have been embarrassed about that later. I'm not sure. I don't know. It does get resolved. But he wasn't a perfect guy. He put his pants on one leg at a time, just like all of us. And so for us, I, I think about, okay, how can we be courageous? I think about joy. And I think about humility that we take from Barnabas. When someone or something that, that goes on or something that upsets you, you know, dare to be happy. Dare to be happy. And fight your enemy in this. You know, he wants us to get caught up in, in all kinds of, of things. And whatever our role is or it isn't, do what we do because we love God. Be content in who we are and the role that God gives us. Be content in, in, in the path that God has for us. Believe me, if God wants you someplace, it'll, it will work out somehow, some way. Our job is really just simply to love God. But Barnabas, against, again, a convinced, clear-minded, and courageous, he was a life transformed from the cross, as ours should be. You know, as we go to, uh, to the cross today and take the Lord's Supper, consider the life of Barnabas. But maybe more so, consider your life and the cross of Jesus uh, today. And with that, let's go ahead and say a prayer. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is James Lim. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.